right, let's begin with prayer. Oh, get that out. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that we can gather today, that we can be here in your sanctuary, that we can sing praises to your name and uh, study your word, that we can remember all of your love for us and uh, just ask that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say today, that you would speak through me. Uh, let these not be my words, but your words, God. And may you be glorified in all that we do. Amen. All right. Well, throughout the scripture, we often encounter the concept of hope. Um, we are called to hope in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Hope is promised by God. Uh, in Titus 1-2, and we are exhorted in 1 Peter 3-15 to be ready to defend the reason for our hope. Uh, this hope that we have in the scripture is called by many names. In Colossians 1-27 and Romans 5-2, it's called the hope of glory. Uh, in Colossians 1-23, it's called the hope of the gospel. In Acts 24.15, we hope in God that there will be a resurrection. And 1 Timothy 1.1 tells us that Christ Jesus is our hope. And Titus 2.13 expands on that idea to say that we hope for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, however, in common English usage today, the word hope uh, definitely has a different meaning than what we find in biblical context. Uh, in fact, it tends to have a meaning that doesn't fit with the idea of hope in the Bible at all. According to the English Oxford Dictionary, hope is defined in the following way. As a noun, it is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Or as a verb, it means to want something to happen or to be the case. Uh, in both of those definitions, there's clearly an uncertainty in the outcome of the thing that is hoped for. Uh, however, in the scripture, this word hope is always presented as certain. Uh, in fact, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 6, verse 19, that our hope is an anchor of the soul. And back in 6, 11, he says we can have the full assurance of hope. So how is it that our hope can be certain? And what exactly is the substance of our hope? In order to be ready to explain our hope, as Peter commanded us, we are going to have to look at what our condition is, uh, why we need hope, what our hope is, and then uh, what the certainty of our hope is. So we'll begin with our condition. Oh, Peter said not to say next slide, so I won't say it. <laughs> the Bible makes our present condition very clear. We are sinners. Uh, we also have a perfect, holy, just God who will one day execute his perfect judgment and justice against sinful mankind. Um, and so there can be no doubt that each and every one of us is a sinner. Uh, we see in Romans 3.23, it says very straightforward that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5-7, to Jesus teaches that even the attitudes of our heart and the thoughts of our mind are sinful uh, without any action being taken. And James in chapter 2 tells us that if we fail to keep God's law in just one point, we become transgressors of the whole law and thus are guilty of breaking the whole law. So we are definitely all sinners. 
as sinners, we have incurred a great debt. Uh, in Romans 3.19, we are told that the whole world, uh, all, all of mankind, is accountable to God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that this debt, that our wages, uh, because of our sin, are death. Um, going all the way back, in fact, to Genesis chapter 2, to God's very first command to Adam and Eve, we see that the cost of sin is death. And this death is twofold. Uh, first, there is a physical death. Uh, and according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, on Judgment Day, we will have an eternal second death in the lake of fire. Um, Hebrews 9.27 sums this up a little bit for us. It says that it is appointed for a man to die once, that would be the physical death, and after that comes judgment, and that's when we face the second death. So here's the worst part. Our debt is so big that there is nothing we can do to get out from under it. Um, a lot of people today, especially who aren't believers or who just have a vague idea of this, think that when we get to heaven, there's going to be scales, and if your good outweighs your bad, they're going to let you in. Um, even if it worked like that, Isaiah tells us in chapter 64, verse 6, that our own righteous deeds are like filthy rags in God's sight. So if it worked like that, you would get to heaven, you would say, okay, God, let's make a deal. Uh, let's look at everything I've done and see if I get in. You would dump it all out, and he would put it all in the bad pile say, well, there you go. Your bad outweighs your good. Um, but it doesn't work like that anyway. Uh, in fact, our good deeds at all cannot save us, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Uh, additionally, we cannot buy our salvation or the salvation of others, contrary to what the Catholic Church teaches. Uh, Psalm 49, verses 7 to 9, teach us that no man can ransom another because the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. So no amount of money, no amount of wealth, no amount of power is going to save you from death or judgment. Uh, and last, animal sacrifices, something we see a lot in the Old Testament uh, as a picture of what was to come, can never actually pay our debt. Uh, in Hebrews, especially in chapter 7, um, the author goes into pretty detailed explanation of why the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system uh, can never achieve perfection. Uh, and so we have a need. We have this great debt because of our sin, and we see the results of that, and so our need, we have a twofold need. One, we need resurrection from the first death, and second, we need salvation from the second death. And this is where our hope comes in. So what hope do we have of achieving either of those, and even more so both? Can you resurrect yourself, any of you? Can any of you save yourself from God's judgment? And especially, can you do both? I can't. Uh, so to understand where we get hope for this, we must understand first that there are two groups of people. There are those who are in Christ, and there are those who are not in Christ. Very black and white. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 tells us more about those who are not in Christ, uh, which is the condition of all of us prior to becoming in Christ. Um, it says, uh, although it is speaking primarily to non-Jews in this context, but it says, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope 
and without God in the world. So, for those who are not in Christ, you have no hope, and you are without God. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 also talks about the same thing, uh, more on the topic of what happens after death, but it says that those who are not in Christ have no hope after death. Um, And we've already seen the reason for that. They can't earn their salvation or resurrection. They can't buy salvation or resurrection. And no animal or fellow sinful human can serve as their substitute in paying their debt. However, we who are in Christ do have hope because we have Jesus Christ. Let's look at how he provides hope for these two great needs. First of all, Jesus provides hope for salvation from God's wrath against sin. In order to be saved from God's wrath on Judgment Day, we need to be made righteous, uh, also known as justified. Uh, God is merciful, we sang about that, but he cannot just ignore sin because he is also just. Someone must pay for our sin, and that someone must also be able to credit us with perfect righteousness in order for us to be saved from God's wrath. Uh, Paul explains this very well in Romans 3, 21 to 26. Uh, And I'll read all that, so if you want to turn there, go ahead. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." So first, it says that the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, perfect righteousness, the righteousness of God, is available through faith in Jesus Christ. That's one of the things we need if we're going to be saved from God's wrath. Second, it says that this redemption was accomplished in Christ Jesus, who provided propitiation by his blood. Uh, which is another way of saying that he paid for our debt with his life. Uh, And this perfectly keeps with God's character. He is both merciful in that he provided himself as our substitutionary atonement, and he is just in still dealing with sin and the debt of death. Uh, Psalm 34, 22 says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Jesus also provides our hope for resurrection. From the day that we're born, our bodies are being ravaged by the curse of sin. I'm sure most every one of us in here can attest to that, uh, especially sitting in these pews. (laughs) We will all one day either die or be raptured. Uh, In either case, however, our present earthly bodies are not suited for eternal life in a heavenly realm, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, That chapter also says that we will have resurrection because Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the firstfruits of resurrection. 
This resurrection is for those who belong to Christ, and it will occur at his second coming. 1 John 3.2 tells us, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Furthermore, we know that in resurrection we will have eternal life. We won't have to keep getting resurrected every time we die. Uh, This has been promised to us by God according to 1 John 2.25. In fact, Jesus made the promise himself, uh, and we can find that in John 14.19, and he says to his disciples, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Titus 3.7 says that we have the hope of eternal life as our inheritance. Uh, looking back to the, the mention there that we are God's children. We will inherit eternal life. Uh, and 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through 5 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we see in those verses, I think those are great verses, (laughs) by God's mercy, he is causing us to be resurrected. Our hope is alive. It's not a dead hope. We know it's alive because it rests in Christ Jesus, who has already been resurrected and it's being guarded by God, and it comes with salvation, everything we need. In fact, even Job, way back near the beginning of time, uh, in the middle of his trials, looked forward with hope and certainty to the resurrection. Uh, He says in chapter 19, verses 25 to 27, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed meaning after he has died, yet in my flesh I shall see God, so he knows he will be resurrected, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. So even Job knew that he would be resurrected, he would have a physical body again, and he would see God, his redeemer. Uh, So we can clearly see that we have a need, and we have hope, We have things that could happen or maybe have happened, what we expect to happen, uh, the the means by which our needs can be met. Uh, But how is it that we can be certain of these outcomes? Uh, And this is the part I think it's important for us to be able to defend when Peter exhorts us to defend our hope. How does our hope for salvation and resurrection actually become an anchor for the soul so that we can know peace in times of trouble and joy in times of difficulty. Uh, This answer is also twofold, and it lies with the person who's responsible for making all of our hope happen and the character of that person. That person, of course, we've seen is God, it's Jesus, and his character, especially, is that he is faithful. Let's look again at salvation. What does our salvation require? We talked about this. It requires that someone pay the debt that we owe because of sin and be able to credit righteousness to us. We've seen that Jesus accomplished that. He lived a perfect life. He gave his life on the cross to pay for my sin and your sin 
and his perfect righteousness has been credited to you and to me. Um, It wasn't just a debt payment, it was a balance transfer. He took our debt, he gave us his righteousness. Uh, And so on Judgment Day, we will be able to stand before God and be declared blameless. How is it that this happened to you and me? How is it that we were the recipients of this, of what Jesus did? Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30, uh, read as follows. It says, For those whom he, that is God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he, again, God the Father, predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot going on in those two verses, but what's important to notice here is that none of it depends on me or on you. Uh, From the beginning, this has been God's plan. God is the one who chooses. God is the one who calls. God justifies. God glorifies. At no point do I earn any of this. In fact, uh, a common misconception here, but when it says that God foreknew, it doesn't mean that God looked into the future and saw that I would one day be a worthy candidate for his calling. Uh, Because there are no futures in which I, by my own merit, would ever be worthy of God's calling. And the same is true for every one of you. There are no futures in which I, apart from the grace of God, would ever choose Jesus. Romans 3, 10 to 12 tells us, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So none of us would ever have caused hope to happen. None of us are responsible for hope. Our hope is certain because it is accomplished by Jesus. So not only is it already a done deal, it can't be undone by my failure. In fact, the only requirement for me to participate in the hope of salvation and resurrection is that I be in Christ. And how do I do that? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are in Christ, we are saved through faith. We aren't responsible or even capable of conjuring up this faith on our own, but Ephesians says that we receive this faith as a gift of grace from God. And so it is, that even the faith that's required of us for us to participate in the hope of salvation and resurrection does not come from us, but God handles that part too. Likewise, our resurrection hope also depends entirely on what Jesus has already accomplished and the resurrection that he has already received. Our baptism, which I wasn't here last week, but I think somebody got baptized, I heard, uh, testifies to this reality. Romans 6, 3-5 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
So there we have the certainty of our resurrection through the fact that Jesus has already been resurrected. Clearly, we can see that everything about our hope rests on God, and that is wonderful news. Uh, Looking at the character of God, Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So our hope is something we can hold on to because God is faithful. In fact, according to Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, one of the functions of the Old Testament in the life of the believer is to reveal to us the faithfulness of God in order that we may be encouraged and have hope. In speaking about the promise of God to us as believers, which I've already mentioned, uh, gets mentioned in Titus 1 2, the author of Hebrews says in 6 17 to 20, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that would be us, the inheritance we've talked about, God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, which is into the presence of God, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. If he's the forerunner, then we're going to follow having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, in John chapters, uh, chapter 10, 27 to 30, Jesus comforts us with these words. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So our hope is certain because God is faithful. God has promised with an oath that he will save us, that he will resurrect us. God is powerful, it says. No one can snatch them out of God's hand. No one can snatch them out of Jesus' hand, and they are one, God and Jesus. Uh, And so that's just incredible in my opinion uh, we, we definitely have certainty of our hope uh, so how should we respond well as we already talked about there are two groups of people uh, those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ uh, if you're sitting here today and you're not in Christ then the command from Jesus to respond is spoken in Mark 1.15, where he says to repent and believe in the gospel. To repent means to turn from your life of sin. Confess your sin to God, seek his forgiveness, which he eagerly gives to those who are earnest in repenting, and stop living in sin. And the gospel, or the good news to believe in, is exactly what we've been talking about. It's our hope through Jesus, through all that Jesus has done. Um, When it says believe, it's not just talking about uh, accepting the fact that this has happened because even the demons believe there is a God. Um, But it's a a reliance upon Jesus. It's not uh, expecting to get into heaven based on your own deeds or your wealth or anything like that. 
but it's understanding that there's nothing you could do to get into that, to be saved, but you're relying on Jesus to provide that for you. Um, As Pete said last week, it's stepping into the race, not just running along the outside. Uh, If you're here, if you've been coming to church for a while, but you're not in Christ, you're just on the outside of the race, and it's time to step in. It's a life of commitment, running to obtain the prize at the end. And it requires sacrifice. This isn't going to be easy. Jesus describes it in Luke 9, 23 to 24. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. However, if you're in the other group, if you are in Christ, and I hope you are, then we have this hope And it is our source of joy, and it is an anchor for our souls. In both Romans 12.12 and in 1 Peter 1.6, we are told to rejoice in hope. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, after talking about our hope for resurrection, Paul tells you to encourage one another with these words. If you're looking for ways to encourage one another as believers, encourage each other with our hope. Back to 1 Peter 1, in verses 13 to 16, Peter commands us, in light of our hope, to be holy in all of our conduct. And so our response, joy, encouragement, and a pursuit of holiness. We are to keep our eyes fixed on heaven, eagerly awaiting Christ's return and the fulfillment of the promise of hope, putting off sin and pursuing holiness, and encouraging one another with our hope. That was a much shorter sermon than I expected it to be. (laughs) Uh, We'll go ahead and pray, but have the ushers come on up, and uh, hopefully Chris is halfway through hers. (laughs) All right. Heavenly Father, you are holy and righteous and just and faithful. We praise you, God, for the hope that you have secured for us in Christ Jesus. You've planned this from the beginning. You've had mercy on whom you've had mercy, and you are worthy of all the glory. We confess that we don't deserve your love, God, but we love you because you first loved us. Christ alone is our hope, and we eagerly await his return. We ask, God, that you would continue the good work that you've begun in each of us to conform us into his likeness, and that your name would be exalted on the earth. As we come to offer tithes and offerings to you, God, we ask that you would use these to further your kingdom, that you would care for the widow and the orphan, the poor and the needy, as we have seen, and that you would be glorified in all of this, and that we would give joyfully. And thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. Amen.